You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 185, Jay Holland and the Goodness of God. If you're going through a hard time right now, this one's for you. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Derek Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am super stoked that you are and glad that you have joined us. Um, I know that today we're going to have a really great conversation. Our guest today, he's a pastor um, and he's a aspiring author, maybe we'll say. And uh, he's he's got a story that I think you are going to really resonate with. Our guest is Jay Holland. Jay, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. I'm super stoked that uh, we got to connect. I think we connected through Christian Podcasters Association, did we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I I don't know if you were there or not. The podcast movement convention I was. in Orlando. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was the first one I've ever been to. I have a, a podcast of my own as well. I was in line at Starbucks uh, in this like 75 person line and somebody walked up and mentioned something about a Christian podcasters get together. And so <laughs> I uh, left my line and I got to be a part of the last 45 seconds. <laughs> okay. I remember that now. Yeah. Really good connections. I imagine had I been there for a half an hour, how good it would have been. <laughs> that's I fantastic. That. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Well, I'd forgotten that 45 seconds, well, but that's I, good. I think like I, fa- I don't even think I met you, but I found out about uh, the, the, Yes, podcasters group, the Christian podcasters. Group. I remember because you have a podcast too, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, you, it's called Let's Parent on Purpose. Let's Parent on Purpose. What do you do on that? I'm assuming it's parenting, but that's it's well, it's it's uh, parenting, marriage, and personal discipleship. So I have been a uh, a student pastor. I've, my title changes all the time depending on what the church needs, but um, a, a core of my focus for the last 20 years has been student ministry. And, uh, you know, the big realization that I had, and even more so as I have my own kids, uh, it matters less and less how great of a youth pastor that I am. It it really depends on mom and dad. Uh, And so, you know, my burden of, I I need to be in the ears of my parents just as much, if not more than my kids. Because, you know, the, the average student in church you get for a hundred to 200 hours a year, like your high end kids, right. the ones that are going to camp and mission trips, you have about two, 200 hours of interaction with them. But parents have about 3000 hours wow. of interaction with their kids. So, you know, you don't think that your youth pastor is going to overcome what happens in the home. Uh, and so just wrestling through, well, how, you know, because I'm teaching youth and, and I have these other obligations at the church, how can I reach the moms and dads in my church? And so yeah. thinking through a couple of things, I started with a blog and a podcast at the same time. And, um, and what I realized, Eric, was that blogs had like a 24 hour shelf life. Um, you know, I'd write it and, and if somebody read it, they really liked it. And two days later, uh, it was, you know, gone. Uh, but podcasts and, and I love, I love listening to podcasts, podcasts, people will go back and, if they like one, they'll listen to past ones and they'll, you know, they'll miss because they're on vacation and then they'll catch up. Um, and you have, hey, you're in it, you know. And those listening, we, yep. we're in your ear and you're probably paying attention because you're doing something that otherwise is boring, like driving or jogging. Or yeah. Something like that. I, in November 2019, I got the chance to go and speak to PubU, which is the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association conference every year in Nashville. And I, that's one of the things I told them. I said, don't, don't write this off. Like you, even if all you're doing is getting, uh, like you're putting an author on a podcast, you're getting access to not only their audience at the time, but to their growth. Right. And that's really important. So even I encourage them buy ads on small podcasts for one podcast will love you because you're giving them money. And for two, uh, you will get access to that growth that you can't get right. Otherwise, yeah. Um, it's incredibly short-sighted to, to demand a certain amount of downloads or whatever right. before you actually, uh, you know, invest even a small amount. I mean, for a couple hundred bucks, you can get access to my show right now, right? Yeah. Hey, there you go. If you're listening. <laughs> Wouldn't take a lot. Um, so, so in mine, I, um, I, I focus on kind of a, a 
three-legged stool of marriage, parenting, and personal discipleship. Because nice. uh, you, you can't be a great parent if, if you're in a marriage that's really, really uh, on rough ground. And I know there's a lot of single parents as well. As we, we'll get into our story, my story a little bit later, I, I, you know, I had adventures in single parenting as well. Uh, and it's the, uh, right up there with the hardest things I've ever done yeah. in my life. Um, but uh, so focusing on marriaging, strengthening and encouraging marriages, um, uh, parenting, and, and it's a combination of sometimes it's just me and, and about half and half me and half and half uh, interviews with, with people. Uh, a lot of times I find people in my church that are passionate and really gifted at one particular area. Like, I, you know, for instance, I remember... Uh, having a mom on who she's a, 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 you know, just this incredible leader in my, in our youth ministry. And she's just incredibly organized with her kids. And, uh, and I'm like, how do you do this? How do you create systems and structures uh, to get your kids to actually do chores and do yeah. work and stuff like that? So, um, yeah, you know, you can find an international expert that wrote a book on it, but chances are there's somebody that, you know, that has the answer for just about everything in your life. And so, wow. um, a lot of that, um, but it's been really fun. And then, and then your personal discipleship, because, um, I know, um, you know, as my spirit goes, so goes my role in the home. And so, um, that's just been really fun. So it's been about three years of doing that started reaching my cool. parents at my church and moved from there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Um, I often say you can't lead people further than you've been. Yeah. On the path. Right. So yeah, you've got to, you've got to take care of yourself as well. Okay. Well, I love that. So that's great. That's all at let's parent on purpose.com. Right. Yes. So great. People can find that. And of course, uh, if you're listening to this, you're already a podcast fan. So go over there. Yeah. You're in the app. Go ahead and just jump over and subscribe. So Jay, I want to hear about your story. And, okay. uh, you told me you, you grew up in a Christian home. You had great, great parents. Tell me about that. Where were you? What sure. part of the world? Yeah. So I live in South Florida now. Um, I apologize to the rest of the nation, but, um, <laughs> we all think I you're did. weirdos down there. Yeah. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt oh, uh, right now. So, <laughs> and it's December, um, when we're recording this. Uh, so I grew up though in West Virginia in a, in a town called uh, Huntington, West Virginia, just outside of Huntington. If anybody's a sports fan, that's where Marshall university is. Uh, they made that movie. We are Marshall uh, a few oh, yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up uh, there, lived in the same house for the first 18 years of my life till I went away to school. Um, and so I've had a lot of events in my life uh, and some of them in- incredibly traumatic events but but if I'm looking at the most foundational shaping things in my life, uh, I I think I have to go back to my mom and dad. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, they it was interesting. They dated in high school, and then um, my dad got shipped to Alaska in the Air Force, and so my mom uh, my mom married somebody else. My dad married somebody else. Neither of those marriages worked out. Uh, my dad had four four kids from that marriage, so. Uh, my mom and dad eventually reconnected, got married, and I'm the only child from that marriage. Uh, wow. So that's, yeah. is That's really a fascinating funny. story. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to that one. Um, but so I, I had this combo of like being the only child yet having, uh, being one of five kids and had a great relationship with my siblings. Um, but at the same time, because of the, the split marriage, um, there, you know, it was a lot of in and out, you know, kind of continual transition of who was living in the home, um, whether they were living with, with our dad or whether they were living with their mom. And, uh, and they went through some very, very rough things. And so, you know, with a couple of them, uh, I got to see a lot of dysfunction. Um, so in, in one sense, like I, I, I experienced a dysfunctional home through a couple of the siblings, but at the same time, my mom and dad loved so well. Um, they loved Jesus, but they loved so well that w- when, you know, growing up in church, when you hear that God is father and you've got a good father, well, it's natural that you'll want to go to God. Um, and so, you know, I feel like my salvation, um, my faith in Christ you know, was, was a process of learning and understanding, but, but there was a sense to it, which would, which was like, well, of you know, of course I want to be with my heavenly father. Like he's, he's good. Like my dad. Um, and, and also I think 
I, I, you know, I had an older brother who was pretty rebellious and I was seven years different in age. And so I had this unique experience of watching the sternness of dad face to face with my brother during some pretty, pretty bad rebellion. Mm. But then as my brother steams off and leaves, watching a broken hearted father who weeps over uh, this child. And, and that really had a deep impression on me of, of, of even understanding the heart of God that, uh, you know, he, he deeply loves us, but he, you know, he, he has to be stern, like that, you know, God is holy. Um, but, but God, um, even when disciplining his children, deeply loves his children. And so that was yeah. really foundational for me. That's pretty interesting. Um, cause d- like you said, definitely our, our fathers shape our view of our heavenly father. And uh, you had a very sort of mixed uh, experience there. So, yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. So I, I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll compare that. I, I had uh, a very, very good friend that I, I met later in high school whose father was, was very abusive and, um, you know, would come home and give the family silent treatment for a week and they wouldn't know why. And then he would come home the next day and act like nothing had happened. And then oh, wow. he was verbally abusive and every once in a while would, would strike, strike them. And it wasn't predictable. Like that was the hardest part about it is just nobody could figure out why. And so my friend, uh, really close friend came to Jesus, really loved Jesus. But when things would go really bad in life, uh, my friend's reaction was, um, God must be mad at me and I don't know why. And if he mm. would just tell me, I would try to fix it. Um, you know, and when they would calm down emotionally, they could say, no, I know that, you know, scripturally I read it and I see it and I know that right. God's for me, not against me. But, but like, I was just so impressed in my own life as I became a parent later, how foundational my role as a dad is to my children's understanding of God. Um, because it, it's really like you can overcome it, but it's kind of going to be the default that you have to wrestle through. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That is uh, a little bit weighty, right? That's that's a big calling as a as yeah. a father. Yeah, it really is. Wow. Um, now, there's tremendous grace in there. Like when I talk about, thankfully, you know, my my parents being great. Um, my dad was a firefighter, so he was he worked 24 hours off 24 hours, worked 24 hours off 24 hours, and they did that on like three day cycles. Mm-hmm. But on his off days, he he had another job working for his dad at a wholesale produce place. And those hours are bananas. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning till noon or 2 p.m. And so, you know, a lot of what I remember about my dad is sleeping. Mm. <laughs> and I used to think when I was little, man, all dad does is sleep. And I didn't realize like he would just work 36 hours straight for three days in a row. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and, didn't do everything perfect. Didn't have all of the sit down, you know, he didn't nail all of the talks. He didn't, yeah, just in devotions all the time, but he loved steadily, and my mom loved steadily, and I just think that mm. as I grew up um, and began to encounter some things that that really could rock my life, um, that steadiness of love, like I always knew that I was loved, and for me that translated to God as well. Like I knew I was saved through through Christ, yeah. and um, Yes. How how did you know that? Did you have a personal experience at some point? Did it become your own or with 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 uh, Christ? Uh, yeah. So you know, I I know that I raised my hand like two or three times. In, sure. In kids' church because I had the stickers to prove it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but for me, the foundational time that I always go back to, and I was about six years old. I was up in my bedroom um, by myself, and I understood sin, and I understood judgment, and I understood that I was a sinner. Um, my church was very good at communicating that on a childlike level and, and I didn't want to go to hell. Um, I sure wanted to be with God and not, not go to hell and pay for my sin. And I remember being on my bed and praying, you know, Lord, I, you know, I want Jesus to save me. Please help me to know that I'm, I'm not going to hell. Please help me to know that, um, I I'm going to be with you. And I don't know how long I prayed this. Like I was six. It could have not been that long at all. Right. But, but I got what I can tell you now was the Holy Spirit of peace. Mm. Um, but I just had this sense, I can stop praying this prayer because I know that God saved me. And I remember like getting excited and running downstairs and 
my mom and dad were sitting in the living room and jumping on one of their laps and telling them, you know, I know that I'm not going to go to hell, that I'm going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. And, um, and as I, so as I grew up, uh, going through, you know, elementary and high school, my, I, I was always tender to God. Um, you know, I would wall off areas of my life, um, and, you know, kind of play that game of like the good enough Christian. Yeah. Um, as long as I was comparing myself to non-Christians or really bad Christians, but I always had a tenderness towards Jesus. And, and for me, it was kind of like my periods of doubt. I doubted the existence of God more than I doubted whether I belonged to God, which is, I, I know, kind of a weird thing. But, you know, I remember in high school thinking, well, I don't know if any of this is true, but if it is true, I belong to Jesus. And I, right. so th- that was kind of my doubt journey in there. No, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Well, um, how did you then become, how did you grow? So it sounds like you're probably involved in church. Yeah. Uh, you know, give, give us a couple of those moments sure. when you so, were. So I, you know, I grew up in, uh, we had what was called the Awana program, which was kind of like church yeah. Boy Scouts. Um, <laughs> and, and I liked sports, but I wasn't great at sports, but I was really good at memorizing Bible verses. And so you could get trophies uh, and badges yeah. for memorizing Bible verses. So um, I cannot say that it was motivated by godliness, but it was motivated by uh little plastic trinkets. Um, but man, I put a lot of God's word in my heart when I was little, I didn't comprehend it then, but it, yeah, it's there. And there's tremendous value to that. So yeah, yeah, there is over the years. I've been a little bit of a critic of the sort of quasi military aspect of that whole thing, but, um, <laughs> there is, there is value to, I, the, the heart behind it, I think is totally yeah. good. And doing that as a child, I bet had a tremendous impact for you later. It did. It really yeah. did. I mean, still now, a lot of the verses that I know are the verses that I know from childhood. Like the, the train tracks were laid down and the comprehension. I comprehended them to some level then, but later, like the Lord really illuminated them at the right time. Um, so, you know, stayed in church, stayed in youth group, um, tender to Jesus, went to camps, made commitments, broke the commitments on the way home from camp, um, that kind of thing. And then actually it was my senior year of high school and I was really not going down a great path by then. Um, I just kind of really, it was like, I resisted peer pressure the whole time that they were active. My friends were actively pressuring me. And then once they stopped, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I, you know, so I started partaking of alcohol, um, you know, had started dating a girl that wasn't a believer. And then my senior year, um, my high school consolidated with another high school and first day of senior classes, my senior year, I go into that having had a, a, a summer that um, as far as relationship with the Lord, like I was just sliding, really, really sliding. And sitting right in front of me, first day of classes, senior year, there's this girl who is beautiful and just glowing. And um, like she came and sat with the kids from the other school, which like none of us did. We were all kind of walled off in our own schools. Yeah. And in the first five minutes of sitting down, she's telling me about her mission trip to Jamaica that summer, about going to church camp and how she wants to be a missionary with her life. And then like engaged and asking me about my life. And I was, I was in awe because I, I feel like I really didn't know that many pretty Christian girls by that point. So <laughs> this was like a, you know, I knew a couple, but right. uh, this was like a new territory for me. And, and, um, but, because I was actually dating somebody else, we just spent a number of months really becoming friends and, and my conviction growing and growing and growing Mm. that the path I was on was so different than this girl who sat beside me and was befriending me. Um, and so, you know, eventually broke up with, with that other girl, we started dating and, uh, you know, to, to fast forward five years later, uh, 13 days after we graduated from college, uh, we got married. And so, um, you know, in the meantime, I had always wanted to go into the, uh, the Air Force Academy. I got accepted, went in, absolutely loved it, spent two years in the Air Force Academy. But this is kind of really where my growth skyrocketed. Um, despite all these Bible verses that I've memorized, despite going to church, I had never really committed to reading the Bible on my own until I was stripped away of friends, phones, you know, the internet was just coming out. Um, yeah. And so the beginning of my freshman year uh, in college at the Air Force Academy is the first time I committed to reading the Bible every day. And I, and I, um, you know, I had emailed my old youth pastor and he said, you know what, a good practice would be 
start in Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's 31 days in the month. And so whatever day you're on, just read that chapter. And then if you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just pick up whatever the day and the date is. So I did that two or three times, uh, two or three months and, and started liking it. Got involved in a Bible study of other Air Force Academy people. And so like, it's what I needed. It was a bunch of super type A people who were putting their type A drivenness towards God's word. Yeah. And, and so the word came alive to me and I, I just began to, to really grow and devour in it. And, and it was one of those peer pressure in the very best way um, where like I was groggy, I was tired, but I'm still going to do it because like, I don't want to look bad in front of all these new friends of mine who are pursuing God's word. Yeah. Um, and during that time, the Lord just really changed my heart, changed my desires um, I, I loved the Air Force Academy. I was doing well in it, but I remember my, my sophomore year sitting in a chair and saying the little mantra in my head that I said all the time, which is, I love this place and there's nothing that would ever make me leave it. And it was like, God dropped this little seed in my heart, just this like whisper of a question. And it was, well, what if I would ask you to leave? Would you do it then? And I was so annoyed by that question, Eric, <laughs> um, because I couldn't answer it. Yeah. And, and so I spent... I spent weeks and weeks and weeks just wrestling with that question of, well, hypothetically, if God would ask me to leave, would I do it? And it bothered me that I couldn't come up with an answer. And so I began to talk to people about it. And, and uh, then it evolved into, I think the Lord might be asking me to leave. Um, and I wrestled with it. And I tried to do everything in the world to where like it was on God and not on me. Uh-huh. Um, I like, this is ridiculous, but I have these like bumps on the back of my arm. Um, I know what they are. They're subordinate dermatitis. They're completely benign. I've had them and family has them. I went to a doctor at the academy uh, to check out these bumps, hoping he would say, oh, yes, this is a condition that makes you me- medically disqualified to be in the military and we're going to outprocess you. And instead he was like, here's some cream. Go back to school. <laughs> um, so finally, like at the end of that year, I, I, I came to the realization that if, if God's calling me to a life of faith, then it's going to start with the decision of faith where I don't know all the answers ahead. Um, and so I, I outprocessed from the academy. The Lord provided a full scholarship for me to go to Liberty University. So I finished my college there, got a degree in Bible, uh, married my sweetheart, and ended up uh, landing a job at my home church in West Virginia. And so oh, wow. I got to serve there for five, six and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was that so, doing, doing uh, youth work? Yeah. So coming out of college, uh, had two passions, uh, youth ministry and missions. And, uh, my wife had a missions, Christy had a missions degree. Um, but we kind of felt like as 21 year olds that we didn't want to go ruin the world. Um, and that we probably need to like submit to the experience of being in a church and seeing how church runs. That's highly mature, brother. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think somewhat misguided because what you learn is like every church is massively dysfunctional and, you're not going to be any better for the mission field after having experienced American dysfunction in church than you would had you just gone out of college. Like you're screwed up. Every church is screwed up and uh, the grace of God has to get you through. But yeah, it sounded really mature at the time, didn't it? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we served there really, really enjoyed it. A lot of fruitful ministry um, started to experience some challenges though. Uh, we, my, my wife, uh, ended up just starting to really have this repetitive challenge in pregnancy where we had, uh, in a span of two years, I think three miscarriages and each one got worse where like one was, um, found out when you're pregnant and then a couple of days later lost the pregnancy. But you know, you had like 30 hours of knowing mm. the next one was a, a, a ruptured tubal pregnancy where she uh, nearly hemorrhaged out and and like nearly died in the process and had to have emergency surgery. Um, and then the next one, like miraculously get pregnant, things are good. And then uh, like 10 weeks in, she spots a little bit. We, you know, we pray. This was really weird. We pray and feel like um, God gave us peace. And so we think everything's good. And we call the doctor to just say, hey, she spotted a little bit. Um, and he says, come in and do an ultrasound. And we go in to do this ultrasound, excited to see our baby because we've prayed and we've got peace. And instead, um, there's there's no heartbeat. 
and uh, we find out that the that the baby had died a couple weeks earlier in her mm-hmm. womb, and then she has to have surgery, uh, a DNC to remove yeah. uh, this this baby, and then nearly dies in that process. Like it, it was kind of this foreshadowing uh, to come. So that honestly, like to that point, was one of the hardest faith things that that I had walked mm. through because I I had experienced this peace with prayer and. And I mistook that piece for thinking that God was doing exactly what I was saying. Yeah. And, and that was really hard. Um, yeah. Well, that's, isn't that interesting? Uh, Cause you can, it's easy to go, well, maybe, you know, God's just answering my prayer and maybe he's just present with you. Yeah. Yeah. So what was really hard is I was a pastor and I'm teaching kids and, and I've got this train wreck to process in my own life. Not only the grief of the third child that we've lost, wow! but I don't even know God at all. Like, that's what I'm wrestling through. So, mm. like, I can't teach anything that I don't believe. And it's not that I don't believe God exists, but I believe that I don't understand God whatsoever. And so how am I going to, like, what am I going to talk to the kids about? So, like, I just kind of really went basic for a while as, um, you know, yeah. taught truth, but taught very, very, very basic things as I'm wrestling through this faith crushing question in my mind. Um, yeah, which is pretty normal. I mean, yeah. you would, you would expect that to challenge your idea of, Whoa, I thought God was good. Right. I thought God was right. going to answer these questions. Wow. Okay. So you said that was foreshadowing. So take us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, actually I think it was a little bit more than a year later. Uh, Christy got pregnant again. And it was a very, very fearful pregnancy, but, but it resulted in uh, July 14th, 2002. Uh, my daughter, Brooklyn, was born and um, massive celebration. She was also the, like I said, I had four other siblings. She, ha- she was the first daughter born, at, like first granddaughter born in the family after 11 consecutive nephews. So <laughs> wow. uh, massive celebration. We never bought a piece of clothing for like four years because my sisters had never got to buy girly cl- clothing. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, um, so, you know, Brooklyn gets a couple years old. And like I'd said before, we had this burden for India or burden for missions. And my church had started getting involved in India with this ministry called Hope Givers. And so we had had the, the blessing of, uh, on behalf of the church, helping lead medical missions trips over to India. And my wife was a nurse. Um, and so we just fell in love with this ministry and I'd served, I'd committed to five years at the church. It had been six. And so I, you know, went to them and said, we feel that the Lord's calling us to go to India. And the church didn't want us to go, but they, they understood our heart. And, you know, it was a ministry the church supported. So they were supportive of it. But then Eric, over that next several months, every time that we would take a step of faith, um, it was met with a, um, a deterioration of my wife's health. Mm. Uh, so... So this was 2004 uh, when, when I told the church and we had come back from a mission trip to Trinidad that summer and, and her stomach had been really bad for a while and it just got worse and worse. And so sometime that fall, um, she was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is like a cousin of Crohn's disease. Okay. Um, and it, you know, her, she had a, a father that had it. So, it, you know, like it made sense. Um, but that's a treatable condition. I mean, like it's miserable but once you get locked into a treatment, you know, people live long, fruitful, productive lives with it. But over the next several months, every time that we would try a treatment path, something would go wrong. She would be allergic to the medications or um, they would just wouldn't work. Um, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And so, you know, after a while, it wasn't just her health, but our health, our marital health, um, became really challenging because you, you know, if you've lived in a family with somebody with chronic sickness, um, it affects everyone. And then you start getting on medications that are supposed to help the sickness. And then they, you know, they affect all kinds of things too. And so I remember by that spring feeling like I, I was in a spiritual meat grinder, um, feeling like I, I'm either going to get a divorce or go to the mission field. And this doesn't make any sense. This seems like there should be some kind of middle ground in life. Yeah. Um, and, and I wanted to die. Like, I didn't want to kill myself. I just was like, okay, Lord, 
this is this is good. Like you can take me home now, and I'll I'll be perfectly okay because I don't I don't understand. Um, and 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 the Lord moved, and 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 we were able to to you know get some reconciliation, and and then think okay, things are okay. Um, we got our path. We we know what we're going to do. And then the bottom fell out of her health. Um, her like she had been on a treatment plan that was starting to work. It looked like we were going to go to India, and then. Inside 48 hours, she was as sick as she had ever been. Normally, it took weeks to get to the place she was inside 48 hours. So they put her on a bunch of um, immunosuppressants to just kill her immune system, um, which worked. But uh, if you're familiar with like steroid treatment, she put they she put on 40 pounds of fluid inside four days. Oh wow! Um, and uh, then over that summer. Um, you know, we're at a church camp. She spikes a fever. Uh, we rush her in because it's so far out. We have to rush her in and meet the ambulance halfway. Um, and her oxygen level was at 52%. Um, and she was intubated and in, like in ICU for a few days with bilateral pneumonia. Uh, and then, you know, uh, another month goes by. She gets well. She's, she's home. And then, um, then she contracts MRSA. Um, and then she gets a little bit better. Uh, and then the sickness happens massively again. And so we go to the Cleveland Clinic to just have her, her colon removed, get it all done. And uh, we're up there for a couple of weeks. It's very, very tense. And before we, can, um, before we can go through the surgery, she contracts MRSA in her bloodstream. So she contracts a, uh, an antibiotic-resistant uh, infection in mm. her bloodstream. And so they say, you know, you're too sick to do surgery. Um, we're going to put this pick line in your arm that like goes in deep into your blood veins and we're going to send you, we're going to get you stable. We're going to send you home and then you're going to be on IV antibiotics for four weeks and then come back and do this surgery. So I think it was October 10th, 2005. We left the Cleveland clinic, uh, that morning, um, drove home. Her mom lived next door to us. And so we were actually spending the night at her mom's cause yeah, I had a cat that like, it was weird. I like I had a cat that had got out, got fleas, and my house was infested with fleas, so I couldn't mm. couldn't stay there. So we're next door to her mom's. I'm exhausted. I fall asleep with my daughter beside me in, in one room, and then a few minutes later, her mom comes running in and saying, "Christy's passed out in the in the bathroom." Um, and so we go and kind of kick, and and Christy's able to get up and get the door open, and then she passes out again. And I run to get smelling salts, and by the time I come back, she stopped breathing, and so. Uh, Christy went to be with Jesus with me doing CPR on her body until the ambulance came. Um, and, uh, yeah, they never got her back. Um, and so, you know, for my daughter, she's three and a half No, she's just three and she goes to bed having like hugged and kissed her mom after not seeing her for a couple of weeks. Wow. And then the next morning, like, you know, that was absolutely the longest night of my life. Um, the next morning, like, so this happens, Christy passes out, she dies, the ambulance comes, you know, Brooklyn sleeps through all of that. I go to the hospital, I come back, I just kind of walk the streets of my neighborhood for hours that night. And then I crawl back in bed by, you know, daybreak and there's Brooklyn, like I get up uh, 30 minutes later and she comes out and asks, you know, where's mommy? And yeah, I think that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is like take my daughter in her arms in my arms and mm. tell her that, you know, Jesus has come to take mommy home. Yeah. I mean, that that's a conversation you just don't want to have. No, there's no prepping. Mm. Um, there's no, I don't, I still don't have any advice for anybody no. in, in that situation. Um, and so, you know, what's interesting though, is like, I had felt like I had been in the ticking of a bomb for a long time mm. for like nine months um, and now the bomb has, has gone off. And so those, those days were dark. Um, they were very sad, but there was also a sense to which like, okay, the bomb has gone off now. So at least like, you know, now I'm at bottom. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you this, that like at bottom, uh, Jesus was the rock mm. under that bottom. Um, I, I, I resigned from my church. Um, and just stayed as a member and they, they took care of me very, very well. Uh, we had friends that like, just the, the kind of like how God put together the next several months of my life where 
you know, right as everybody was coming, leaving after the funeral, a friend had called and said, hey, I was going to come for the funeral, but my wife and my church suggested maybe I wait one week and then come stay with you after everybody goes. And so, and this guy was like brilliant at counseling. Like he had his master's degree and is now like leading missions to the Muslim world and knew me and Christy from college. And so like, it was like having a mental health and spiritual counselor in my house for the next 10 days. Yeah. Um, and just thing after thing that the Lord put in, in, in place to uh, take care of us during this time when it's like, I, okay, Lord, I love you and I trust you. Um, and I'm going to have to make a bunch of decisions in life now. Uh, and, and I don't want to screw it up, but I don't have a lot of energy to wrestle through these decisions. So God, I'm just going to ask that I'm going to make a bunch of decisions and you stop <laughs> me if any of them are really bad. Yeah. And, and he did that a number of times. Um, but in that next year, Eric, I, I sold my house. I moved. I, um, you know, I quit my job within two weeks. I sold my house. Uh, I, li- I lived like in the area for about nine months. Moved to Nashville, which actually was the place where that guy who had come stayed with me oh, yeah. uh, moved to his church in Nashville. Um, I ended up, uh, f- you know, going to Florida to take my daughter to Disney and, uh, stayed in Stewart, Florida for a few, uh, a few weeks with a friend, uh, met his wife's sister. Um, the Lord put us together in a relationship and then, and then eventually, um, you know, God brought me and Emily together in marriage. And so got to, uh, marry, uh, one of my best friends, sisters-in-law. Uh, and she is just the most phenomenal woman in the world. She, um, you know, first off to, to like, you know, have spent her life praying and asking the Lord to bring her a husband. You're never dreaming that what he's going to bring you is a widower <laughs> with a daughter. Yeah. You know, like you, you think about that, like you, you've, you've done everything right, or at least, you know, you've really tried to do everything right. You have said no to all of these guys. Uh, you know, I always joke that she has like a spreadsheet of guys that were chasing <laughs> her. Um, wow. And then, and then like at the time I met her, it's like, so here's a jobless widower with a daughter. Um, so that's why I say like just the grace of God was all over it because uh, either that or she was really insane at that point. <laughs> but, um, so we married. We uh, moved to Nashville. Uh, I had already moved to Nashville. She moved down with me and uh, we served there for, I served for a year and a half and she was there for a year in that church uh, that my friend had worked at. And then uh, the housing market totally tanked. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that time, but oh yeah, the, those who are listening to this are old enough to remember that. And in our case, um, she had bought a townhome before we got married, and now she we couldn't sell it for half of what it cost. We couldn't rent it. We couldn't sell it. And so the Lord used that to bring us down to South Florida, which I'm a total state snob. I hate flat, and and I love seasons, <laughs> and uh, and. Outside of the audible voice of God, this is the only thing that I could think could have brought me down. <laughs> and it absolutely is where I needed to be. Um, we got married, or so we, we moved down here. Six months later, my son Elijah was born. 18 months after that, my son Micah was born. And a little bit after that, um, we, so I, I had like come down here. And a year after moving here, uh, the church that I had attended for a year hired me on as a pastor um, and they had a real big heart for the foster and adoption community. My my senior pastor had adopted twins. There were like, I think, you know, we're like a mid-sized church. And I think there's probably about 30 children actively right now at our church, either adopted or in foster care. And so um, we got involved in that and uh, had like, we were blessed with some incredibly hard kids, uh, really, really hard kids. And so, you know, we ended up with this little girl who were the fifth family uh, in her life, um, tremendous amount of, you know, drugs in the womb. Uh, we were, so we got her at one year old, but we were family number five. And, um, she, you know, as she got a little older, more, you know, able to move, able to act, started realizing there's a lot of challenges that are coming with this. And so we're in the middle of trying to figure that out when all of a sudden my, my son, Elijah, who is five and healthy as a horse, strong as an ox, um, he, Spikes are like a 101 degree fever over a weekend. But, you know, we've got four kids at this point. So 101 fevers, nothing. Yeah. Um, by, by Sunday night, it's 105. 
Um, so we're like, okay, this is starting to be concerning. We've been in this territory before with other kids, but like, this is where you get concerned the next morning, 105 with like severe congestion. Um, and we're like, Oh, I think he's got pneumonia. So try to get into the doctor. Couldn't get into the doctor. They said, go to the ER. So we go to the ER and, and I'm waiting in the waiting room. Like we were both kind of around waiting in the waiting room for them to come and say, here's the penicillin go home. And instead, the doctor comes in and says, you know, this makes me sick to my stomach, but um, your son is really sick and it looks like he has leukemia. Oh, and wow. There's, there's, a, um, there's an ambulance pulling up out front to take him down to St. Mary's Children's Hospital in West Palm Beach. And so, you know, Eric, the, the first traumatic experience in my life, there was a lot of like prep and warning for. This one was like not knowing you're standing on a train track when the train comes full blast at you, it was yeah. out of the blue, out of the blue, shocking. Um, so we go down uh, to St. Mary's and he is very sick. I think he had five or seven units of blood that first day uh, given to him. And, and um, the next day, and they told us it'd be like a week of, of, um, figuring out when or what kind of, what kind of leukemia he had. Um, and I knew enough to not go on the internet and look because, you know, I knew it was like, he only has one. He doesn't have them all. I can't fix him, but I'm not bearing the weight of all of them at one time. And so, um, agonizing night, you know, praying, Lord, please don't take my son. Please don't take my son. Um, Mm. but already getting to kind of experience that, that God was there. Um, yeah, I was, I was curious about that because, you know, having already been through some suffering and losing your your wife, did this feel like deja vu? Did it feel like, whoa, you know, it's got, or was it more like, I know how to it, do this? Yeah, it, it didn't feel like deja vu. It felt like, oh, well, this is a path that I know how to walk. Mm. Like, I know where God is in the darkness. Um, my challenge in life is like, when the sun is shining and the birds are singing, that's when I start to really question the goodness of God. And that's something bent in me. I think. <laughs> like I don't question the goodness of God in my own life, but you know, you start looking around at the suffering of everybody else. But, but when I'm in the middle of it, like, man, I know Jesus and I know he's here and I know he's present. And, um, wow. You know, let me give you a couple, a couple things that really stand out from that first little bit, which by the way, the, the doctor came and said, your son has acute limbo. It was an Indian guy with a real heavy accent. And he came and he's like, your son has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And this is an excellent cancer to get, which just is not <laughs> anything you ever think you're going to hear. <laughs> right. um, he's like, cause we know how to treat this one. So what I find out later is acute lymphoblastic leukemia is the most common childhood leukemia. And also perhaps the fastest cancer you can get and the deadliest, except that they know how to treat it now. Wow, uh, and it's a bear of treatment. It's a it's one of the most aggressive treatments. So it's it's a three and a half, for a, for girls two and a half years for boys three and a half year roadmap of the first year's ten months of absolutely intense treatment. Then uh, after that is another uh, they call it maintenance for almost three more years, and maintenance is only uh, light and easy if you've been through the first 10 months of treatment, um, cause wow. first 10 months, you know, you know, sick, throwing up, he was in a bubble hospital homebound, never, never went to church, never went anywhere that there's going to be people. Um, if, if you get a 90, no, it was a hundred degree fever, I think, uh, immediate trip to the hospital and three days or so of them doing every kind of test in the world. And so we, you know, you keep a bag packed for the hospital at all times. Wow. Um, but anyway, backing up to that, like, okay, there's a bomb that's gone off again. God, where are you in this? And then here's, here's like one of the really fast evidences of God. Um, this was like right around the time that Obamacare uh, had come out. Mm-hmm. And you remember the like, you know, you can keep your insurance uh, <laughs> campaign promise. Well, yeah. our church insurance, like we couldn't keep it. Uh, they like dissolved it. And so I... Yeah. You, you can some, keep it if it's still around. That's a whole yeah, other political yeah, yeah. issue, but that's, yeah. So, so right. Uh, and I'm not getting into the politics of this. Like, I know. Actually, this whole experience has changed a lot of my perceptions on healthcare. But in, in my case, I had, like, because our policy, you know, was messing up, 
I had gotten on um, like uh, one of those Christian share programs, Samaritan Ministries, which is wonderful. Um, but I'd also picked up Aflac um, because the, you know, it was cheaper than what we were on before. So I'd picked up Aflac. So I'd like, I'd got a hospitalization policy and a cancer policy. And for an extra nickel a week, you put your children on that policy and it like bumps up their, their amounts as well. Um, but then like, you know, as things settle down, like we find out we can put our kids on this Florida healthy kids, which is a Florida insurance. And so my wife had spent three months in 2014 doing all the paperwork to get that done. It finally comes through April 1st. And so we have this conversation the first week of April, like, okay, looks like the insurance is good, but let's not cancel the, this Aflac and this other policy uh, until we've at least been to the doctor to make sure it works. It's like, okay, April 14th is when he spikes his fever. So for the one month of my life where I am triple insured, is when Elijah gets diagnosed with his cancer. And so, you know, one of my experiences was watching other people be financially wrecked by this treatment. Meanwhile, the Lord had provided this circumstance that through this Aflac policy, we actually were able to like buy a van for the 45 mile everyday round trip. Uh, Well, it's 45 miles one way. Um, Just like we got through three and a half years of cancer treatment, $2 million of build <laughs> expenses with no debt whatsoever. Wow. Um, and you want to say like, okay, Lord's putting something in your life that you don't want. And then he is uh, showing you that he's right there and that he isn't taken off guard by it. Uh, this was, uh, I don't, I don't know how yeah. more obvious you can get. What does that do for your faith? Well, it, it, it wasn't just our faith and that's kind of the cool thing. Isn't yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it was comforting and assuring in ours. And I knew enough to know this doesn't mean that Elijah's going to live through this. Um, mm. But it does mean that God's in this. Um, and so. <laughs> wow, man. That's like, you, hold on, sorry. That is a deeply profound moment, right? To go, yeah. hey, uh, he may not survive and I'm still going to trust God. I mean, that's, yeah. that is, I don't want to just let that go because that. Uh, says a lot about your your trust in God through your experience that you that you had learned through the previous experience with your wife. Yeah, um, things that are completely out of my control, I I'm okay giving those to God because what am I going to do anyway? Uh, it's the ones that are just you know two feet out of my reach that I go nuts. Um, so it's not like I'm captain faith through and through. Yeah. Um, but the life rocking things like I've got a, I've got to walk with God, you know, I've got a pathway with, with Christ. I know, right. I know it's going to be different, but I know he's going to be present and I know that I don't want to do it and I would choose not to do it. And man, like, I know God because of all these things. Like, I don't just know about God. I know God because of these things. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. You finish that story for us. But yeah, then it's a like, you owe 300 bucks. Right. (laughs) Like, that's the stuff that just kills me. It's like, oh God, how are we going to do this? Um, And so, uh, you know, experiencing just the, at the same time that that insurance thing happened, um, the testimony, and I would like, if if I could choose not to, I would choose my son not to to walk through this. Yeah, for the kingdom of God, especially because like let me let me tell you, he's eleven right now. He's thriving. He's been off chemo since August of of two thousand seventeen, uh, and he's doing great. We go down for blood tests; they're perfect all the time. We still got. I appreciate prayers. He's still got a couple years in the scary window for relapse left. Mm. But for the kingdom of God. Man, a billboard for the goodness of God has been our, our thing. Not just for God, but for the church. And this is, this is one of those, like, if, you know, if you're listening, a lot of times people are like, you know, I really love Jesus, but, um, yeah, I've been hurt by the church. I've been burned by the church. Um, and first off, like, he, any human relationship, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be burned. Uh, that's going to happen. Like, if, if you're a, a sports yeah. fan, you're going to be burned by your sports team. Just wait long enough. Um, but in my life, like I remember going in the ambulance with Elijah to the hospital 
and my phone, like I had told three people and then all of a sudden my phone, like to, I called my parents, I called my pastor. That's it too. Um, and then my phone just starts lighting up, uh, with text and Elijah's barely with it, but I'm like, Hey, uh, pastor Bob's praying for you, Rod or Elijah, Mr. Rod's praying for you. And this, that, and, and the paramedic was in the ambulance and he was like, man, it seems like you've really got a, um, like a good church. And, and I, and I said, I do. I said, do you have a faith family? Like, do you have a church? He's like, no, you know, my wife and I are talking about it and like, we need to find one. And I, and I remember saying to him, I was like, Hey, let me tell you something. Um, there are a lot of reasons to, to be a part of a church family. Um, there's a lot of scriptural reasons and everything else. But, but in addition to that, at some time in your life, the bomb's going to go off. And when the bomb goes off, it's too late to find the people that you need in your life to be around. And that's who the people of God are. Like you need them before the bomb hits because they need to be there to pick up the pieces with you. And, and we got to experience that as we're in the hospital for this first 10 days, uh, an army descended upon our house and uh, you know, people just wanted something to do something to help. Nobody could fix Elijah. So they want to do something to help. And so, uh, I was like, um, okay, well, we've got this old nasty carpet in a couple of the kids' rooms, and I think that's probably like, you know, going to raise the chance of infection. So uh, maybe you can rip it out for me. That would be good. So like that turned into them ripping out all of our own flooring in our bedrooms, installing hardwood floors, buying an air conditioning system. Like I, I, like I wasn't in my house for a week, and when I came back, they had replaced the air conditioning system with one of these like ultraviolet radiation ones wow. that like zaps the air that comes into your house to kill things. They had put hardwood floors in the home for easy cleaning. Um, there was new furniture. There was like, they had gone to printers. This was family and friends who all follow Jesus who did this. Like the boys' rooms and the kids' rooms had like posters in them of like Super Elijah and Super Micah. They even remember to, you know, include my other kids yeah. In the process, but just the the people of God being that, um, and 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 wildly at the same time, thirty days into treatment, after a year and a half of trying to adopt my little girl, finally it comes through, and so we get to experience uh, the adopting of this little girl, where we're in the courtroom and Elijah's in the hospital, and we're like with iPads on FaceTime, so you know my son is sitting in a hospital bed. Uh, the first time the judge ever allowed uh, like FaceTime in his courtroom wow. but to, to go through this adoption. And then um, I would just like, it's funny, like things that uh, the little goodness of God in things uh, like two weeks later, um, there's a spontaneous baby shower in my front lawn because nobody's allowed to come inside. And so, like I show up, they, I, I come to church that night and my church had said, like, do whatever you need to do. We'll take care of everything. Like if you ever want to come to work, come to work. But working was like a good break from the hospital. Right. But it was a Wednesday night and I was there to do youth and they're like, Hey, we've got youth covered. Your wife needs you at home. I'm like, no, she doesn't. Like, yes, she does go home. So like I go home and then five minutes later, a bus from the church pulls up and about 30 people are on my front lawn. Like, clapping and cheering and bringing baby gifts for, for our newly adopted adopted daughter who we've had for like two years at that point. But wow. just like the goodness of God through the people of God over and over again uh, in, in our life. And, um, and the testimony that that was to, to the rest of the world, to these doctors and nurses. And it was really neat. I remember the very first chemo treatment that Elijah had, um, there was a nurse that was sitting with him who um, like, I got to have this conversation. I, you know, you like, you're down there you get to have these conversations that you don't plan on. And uh, it was weird because it started out about abortion, which is the last thing that you really plan on talking about with a nurse yeah. while your kid is like in chemo recovery. And uh, it was this good conversation and, and I was sweet and kind and got to just say some things that she had never thought of before. Um, and then Three and a half years later, we're down there for the last testing, like, because they do diagnostic tests at the beginning of chemo and then at the end. And so we're in a room. I think, oh, it's the day he has his port removed. So he had surgery to have a port put in his chest for stuff. 
And this nurse finds me and she's like, I have something to tell you. She's like, I belong to Jesus now. Wow. And, uh, and she's like, I'll never forget that conversation that we had sitting there around there. And like a few things that happened in her life since then, but in the midst of darkness and sadness, um, Jesus is doing a work and, uh, man, who knows what else, like who knows before eternity, what else happened during all that process. So we, uh, we do that, um, get to go through treatment and, uh, you know, I, I would say right now, like if I was going to, you know, in my house, there's cancer is a, is a back of the mind scare. Um, the getting my little girl, well, um, the one that we adopted is absolutely a front of front of the mind. And that's another one. Like, I don't want it to be this way. I absolutely don't want it to mm. be this way. Um, you know, mental sickness is harder than fiddle, physical sickness in a lot of ways because it's harder to understand, harder to diagnose, harder to treat, very unpredictable, yeah. affects everybody. But I know that God's in it. Wow. And, and, um, and I trust that he's in it even when today might feel like a tornado. Yeah. Wow, brother. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. Uh, for this reason, one of the things I want to do with this show is say to people in exactly those situations, it's normal and God is there. Yeah. Uh, there, there are dark nights of the soul. There are times when it's difficult uh, for whatever reason. We all have it. We all have different ones, right? Um, yeah. But God is still there. So you have uh, shared that point so beautifully. Um, I think we covered your podcast earlier in the yeah. at the very beginning. So friends, if you want to hear more from Jay, you can go to his website, which is letsparentsonpurpose.com and uh, definitely subscribe. Um, yeah, Jay, you can find it on iTunes or wherever yeah. else you're listening. How, however you're listening to this one, you, you can find Let's Parent on Purpose as well. Wherever you get your podcast. Jay, is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, yeah, I, I think that when you hear stories like this, I'm, I'm telling you the summation of yeah. 43. Um, and I'm glossing over a lot of Dark Night of the Soul in there. Um, and I don't want you to, th I, okay. Yes, I do. Here's if I'm going to clarify after my wife died, I remember a moment where I'm sitting in my living room and I am just spewing, spewing at the Lord. And like, I'm alone. And I mean, snots falling off of my nose, <laughs> my eye, like tears of puddles on the ground. And, um, I'm just so bitter and angry. And my friend was sitting in there with me, the one that came from Nashville. And at the end of, I, I don't know, it felt like 15 or 20 minutes of just angry ranting. You know, I looked up at him and I said something like, um, you know, that doesn't feel real. I guess that doesn't sound real pastoral, does it? And he said, no, it sounds like Psalm 88. Yeah. And I went back and I read Psalm 88 and, and, uh, and I'd read it before, but it never stuck. All, you know, there's a lot of disorientation in the Psalms. But most of them have a, but Lord, I know you're going to work it out, uh, et cetera. And you read Psalm 88, and it begins with like darkness and sadness. And at the end, it's, and darkness is my only friend. Yeah. The end. And it became so comforting to me to realize that I don't have to like placate God with some, some uh, the fact that I'm still talking to God shows my faith. Totally. Uh, and I don't have to like gloss it over with things so that he doesn't get offended. And the fact that God would allow Psalm 88 uh, to be scripture was one of the greatest comforts of my soul. So that like, you know, wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, you can be it and be fully it. And the fact that like, if you're complaining to God, you're complaining to God and, and he'll work that out. Uh, but you don't have to, you don't have to lie yeah. in your prayers and in your complaints because he's there uh, and he'll see you through the other side. Wow. So true. Uh, the If you think you have to be perfect in order to relate to God, um, that is not the testimony of Scripture, 100%. It's over and over. If you read it for the relationships people have with Him, that's why I wrote a little ebook called What to Do When You're Mad at God, based on Habakkuk, because Habakkuk like, goes to him and is like, hey, what's up? Um, that's the example of Scripture, over and over and over again. God is not, He's not daunted by our troubles. Right. He, in fact, wants to step into them. I think that's what Jesus shows us. So, wow, beautiful. Jay, I'm sure we could talk a lot more about your story and uh, 
and all of that. But um, I, I think we can leave it there. Thanks so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. Um, and again, friends, you can find Jay at letsparentonpurpose.com uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're doing a great job.